It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Okay, Vogel, here we are. Uh, here we are, Rich. My son, Rich, is in South Carolina right now. Uh, so, so I'm having to fly alone, but, but we'll be together, won't we? Uh, let me share something. Daniel Webster. If you pick up your dictionary, is it a Webster dictionary? <laughs> well, Daniel Webster said, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. The trouble we have today in a lot of parts of society, I think especially politics, everybody talks about what church they go to or they talk about this when they want to get elected, but does their life show it? when they do whatever they do, when they get in positions of, of power. Now, George Washington, the father of our country, said this. These are his exact words. It is impossible to rightly govern without God and the Bible. Isn't that something, folks? How far we have strayed but if you know the Lord, how many reasons are there why we love him? How many reasons are there why I love the Lord? Listen to this.
you know, from the beginning to the end, you could still be counting. How many reasons are there why you love the Lord, the Maker, the one who gave you life, uh, and His Son, God's Son, who came to save us from sin, to save us from our nature uh, with which we were born, from the fall of man, from the first chapter of Genesis. It's all there, folks. If you don't know it, you should read it. And frankly, children should know it and study it and be aware of it. Now, of all the presidents in history, who really stands out? If you read much of Abraham Lincoln's life, it wasn't the fancy school he went to, and it wasn't the fancy friends he had. He always, during his entire life, was a person who wanted to do the right thing. And then when he became president, he was saying to himself, I can now do things to make things right, to try and do my best. Well, this is what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, but for the Bible, we could not know right from wrong. All things most desirable for man's welfare are to be found portrayed in it. Now, wouldn't you suppose the children ought to know what Abraham Lincoln said, what drove him, what motivated him? I mean, if you really study his life, he knew that slavery was wrong. I mean, just flat out totally wrong. But everybody, everybody said, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Even the slaves were convinced that's just the way it is. But he knew it wasn't right. And how on earth is he? Uh, did you know that coming back into Washington um, for his second term in office, they had, to, they had to bring him in the dead of night because he was so hated, because of these views that he held, uh, it was not a pretty picture. But nevertheless, Abraham Lincoln was a man who could stand on his own two feet and tell it like it is. Now, was he right or was he wrong? How about you? How about you? Are you willing to stand alone if need be? Well, I tell you what, you don't have to because Christ will stand right there with you. He's your advocate. Here's a song to tell you about it. Once I stood in the night With my head bowed low In the darkness as black as could be And my heart felt alone And I cried, oh Lord don't hide your face from me Hold my hand all the way Every hour, every day From here to the great unknown 
a king I may live in a palace so tall with great riches to call my own but I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than being alone Hold my hand all the way Every hour, every day From here to the great unknown Take my hand and let me stand Where no one stands alone Hold my hand Every hour, every day, from here to the great unknown. Take my hand and let me stand where no one stands. the Lord is holding your hand, if the Lord is your advocate, uh, you're not standing alone. You're not standing in the courtroom with no advocate, no one to take your case, no one to stand in your stead. Uh, that's just the way it is. Now let's get down to the meat of the program here. I've been thinking the way things are going in America I mean, let me pause for a minute. This guy in the White House, do you know why he's there? People elected him. People elected him. Let me say it again. People elected him. Because in our form of government in America, it's we the people. Now, the media loves to tell you what they think. And, of course, if the media says it, why, it must be true. And the media says tells you what they want you to hear, and they don't even mention what they don't want you to hear. So you see how we're really shaped as a nation, as a people, by the power of the media to talk and say things that influences greatly. I suppose that's why I like to go back to the Bible. The Bible is the book. The Bible is the Word of God from Genesis to Exodus. But what is there about America it really and genuinely is different. You know, if you meet somebody from another country, France or Sweden or uh, Italy, you name it, well, they'll say, oh, that's, that's, that's where I live. That's my country. That I love my country. So on and so forth. Well, people could say that's just the way it is with Americans. But what is really different? How was America constructed? to be different. And you know what? 
It is we, the people. We don't have a king. Although some presidents try and pretend like they're a king, we don't have a king. We have three equal branches of government, and they are equal, and they are the executive branch, and then they are the legislative branch, the Senate and the House of Representatives, and then there is the judicial branch, and they are equal. And the tipping point is we, the people. And of course, that comes, of course, from our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. Think of that, our Bill of Rights. In other words, do people have rights? Yes, in America, the people are the boss. The others are public servants. And man, do they ever want us to forget that. They want to be the boss. So as I was pondering back, what is it that makes America different? And it really is that. We don't have a ruler. We don't have a prince or a king. We don't have the throne and the crown. Uh, it's we the people. And if we get into trouble, Paul Harvey keeps saying this, if we get into trouble, uh, you can blame yourself, folks, for being lazy, for being uneducated, for being indolent, not paying attention, or thinking it doesn't matter, the other guy will do it. Shame, shame, shame. So here we come now, the Star-Spangled Banner. How did the Star-Spangled Banner happen to come about? How did we muster the courage? And by the way, it wasn't everybody. But how did the majority muster the courage to say, we don't want a king. We are not going to be beholding to England and the king of England and whatever they tell us to do or not do. What price will we pay to have freedom? There's that beautiful word, what price will we pay to have freedom? Here's the story. There was a lawyer once, his name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song. And they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. 
Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats, and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered, and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. He says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? 
Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag, completely nondescript, in shreds. The flag pulled itself was at a crazy angle. The flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen. But men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground. Although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. Their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. Oh, say, can you see by the What so proudly we hear at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the pale.
Well, there you have it. There you have it. Um, I want to give you our listener comment line, 1-800-345-2621. Repeat it again, 1-800-345-2621. And next week, my son Rich will be back with me again. In the meantime, this is Dick Bott with this chapter, The Complete Story, as a public service, and I'll see you later.